Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to a very special episode of the Belated Box Office present, uh, presented by Force to be Social. Tonight is our Season 2 debut, technically episode 22, I believe. I believe you're right. <laughs> uh, just wanted to let you guys know this is a podcast where we hang out and talk about movies that we've always wanted to see but haven't gotten around to or some of our favorite movies of all time and we pretend like we know what we're talking about when in actuality we... Oh have little to zero experience doing this kind of thing. So we hope you guys enjoy tonight's episode. Pat, why don't you tell everyone what we watched this week? This week, for our 22nd episode, we watched Catch-22. Uh, it was released in 1970 by Paramount Pictures, uh, starring a great cast, including Alan Arkin, Martin Balsam, Art Garfunkel, John Voight, Martin Sheen, and Orson Welles. It was written by Buck Henry, and was directed by Mike Nichols. So this one is um, a difficult one to summarize, I think, kind of the concept of the of the film, but we'll give it a try. Um, <laughs> Catch-22 uh, takes place during World War II on an American air base that's on a, a Sicilian, Sicilian island called Pianosa, and we follow uh, Captain John Yasarian, who is a uh, bomber, uh, who's trying to uh, get approved to be grounded so he doesn't have to fight any more uh, combat missions. Uh, but he's, uh, he's he finds that he's, he's uh, prevented from moving forward by a, a particular legislation called Catch-22. And just to describe, the way that Catch-22 descri described to him is uh, that a, uh, an airman would have to be insane in order to fly, um, in order to f uh, fly combat missions. And if he's insane, then he's eligible to be grounded. All he has to do is ask to be grounded. But as soon as he asks, then he's showing some kind of uh, instinct of self-preservation, uh, meaning that he's no longer considered insane and is not eligible to be grounded, so he has to fly more missions. Yeah. So Yasarian is, uh, is kind of, you know, uh, beleaguered by that as uh, the corrupt... Commanding officer Colonel Cathcart keeps raising the number of missions required um, to to fly before someone can be considered uh, eligible to be grounded or rotated. Um, and uh, later, it turns out that there's this big uh, conspiracy that Colonel Cathcart has with a corrupt, uh, opportunistic mess officer named Lieutenant Milo Minderbinder, where they're kind of like. I, how would you say like they're like artificially kind of perpetuating Mediterranean conflicts just to drive like the demand for trade because they've kind of got um, like they've got a, a monopoly on most of the resources being traded between oh, yeah. countries. Yeah, it's basically just kind of like a, more or less a representation of like, well, now that we basically have troops in all of these places, we can take and trade from every place that we have uh, troops in. Yeah. And, and they're uh, taking out contracts supplies. with the Nazis to bomb their own air base, as well as like getting the taking out contracts requiring their their own men to fly more missions. And it's a huge corrupt and and like contradictory thing because that's kind of the movie's whole thing is contradicting. Yeah, itself. I think it was kind <laughs> anyway, of uh, it was kind of like a like a military industrial complex kind of rap. You know what I mean? They're just like, oh yeah, like, yeah. this is kind of what happens when you go to war. You basically have a bunch of people trying to make money through, you know, backdoor deals, black market kind of stuff, and, and obviously taking advantage of the positions they have. It's not it's not usually one of the troops, though. 
No, it's like usually, the usually who's supposed to be up. like frying everybody's eggs in the morning. It's not usually the guy who's <laughs> um, who's who's uh, benefiting and, and pocketing the difference. Yeah. Um, the story kind of all comes to a head um, after kind of a bunch of uh, it's kind of a little discombobulated. It goes from set piece to set piece where uh, Yosarian and all his uh, all his buddies kind of deal with a bunch of logical inconsistencies and and uh, contradictory kind of no-win situations uh if, until eventually uh yasarians offered a chance to to be rotated and go home um in exchange for endorsing colonel cathcart as as a war hero back in the states uh which he doesn't feel good about so it, after considering it instead he just resolves to escape and uh make way for sweden and then the movie uh uh fades out as he's uh taking off into the mediterranean sea on an inflatable raft yeah it was uh, presumably you know to be killed like forty-five minutes later, I think. But yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know how you make it from the Mediterranean all the way to the, uh, is it the Baltic Sea up like, there by Sweden, or like the Norse Sea or something? It's not <laughs> close. You're not, you're not getting there in a little dinghy. You have to circle around Spain and Portugal and and, and France, <laughs> Denmark. There's a lot. Europe of, there's a lot general, of yeah. basically. I mean, you could go probably the English Channel, but uh, chances are he would have got picked up. Actually, he probably would. D-Day would have been long over by the time he would have got there. Yeah, <laughs> this is uh, 1944, I think, where this takes place. Yeah, because they would have been in Rome, and I believe, I believe that was early 1944 when they have some of those scenes when they're in Rome, when uh, the Allied forces moved up that far through Italy. Um, I don't know, man. It was uh, my initial thought on the film when i when i turned it on and started watching it the first half an hour i was kind of like all right well we'll see where this goes it's got opportunity but um it was uh it wasn't that well received so like as i typically do here i'm gonna just rattle off a little bit of the numbers here so it was budgeted for about 18 million dollars by paramount pictures and uh it only grossed about half of that in its box office debut about nine million i mean the movie's been you know, remastered and, and put out on DVD and VHS and stuff like that. So the, the full figures of what the movie made are unknown to me, but uh, it was more or less a sign of the times, 1970, like pretty much the end of the Vietnam War. Nobody really had the stomach to watch movies like this. It just didn't quite hit as it might have maybe 10 years later. Um, overall, IMDb rated it 7.1 out of 10, letterboxed a 3.5 out of 5, and uh, the tomato... The tomato meter versus the audience score was pretty close. So the uh, tomato meter was 79% and the audience score was 76%, which seemed about right. Um, I, I like those figures. They're yeah. pretty good. They're pretty consistent, right? So I, I, I quite enjoyed seeing that. Uh, the movie was interesting, man. It, I haven't seen a movie like this really before where it, uh, it was really dark wasn't as funny as I thought maybe a dark comedy was going to be like it had some really funny moments mm -hmm. that I'll I'll share in a minute but uh for the most part it kind of seemed a lot more depressing than funny um, it did and so it was it was an interesting watch and when the comedic parts really came around you're like oh that's that's funny but it's not really that funny it just seems funny because everything else has kind of been a, a shitty mess throughout the whole movie for uh for all the characters the main characters at least all the uh all the regular guys you know yeah. Guys going in the planes, they had it pretty rough. And uh, there was some interesting dichotomies there, right? Between the, the politics of it and the colonels and 
you know, major, yeah. major, major. What was that? What was his name? Major, 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 major. major, major. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? So he gets promoted to major with have never even stepping. Yeah. Initially, he was captain major, major, major. Yeah. So I mean, he uh, he gets promoted, and so you get to see all this really kind of funny stuff, and how you can see resentment would grow between the the officers and the uh, you know the the other troops. The crewmen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I th- I thought it was pretty fun overall. Uh, I think my, my my most favorite scene and the first scene that actually made me crack up laughing was the uh, the hospital scene where the two nurses walk by. I mean, they're looking oh, yeah. really good, and everyone's staring at the nurses. It's kind of every time there's a female character in the movie, it's basically like all eyes on the female character because these guys have been flying so many missions and they haven't had really a lot of shore leave. But uh, the two nurses walk up to the guy in the full body cast. He's got his arms and legs hung up, and they just yeah, switch his the catheter cat bottle with his IV bottle and they just switch it and they close the, the curtains back up. The empty IV bottle and the full catheter ball and they're just like, whoop. Yeah, just do the <laughs> old switcheroo, right? Like, well, he needs fluids and he needs to drain, <laughs> so we'll just switch these, right? And, uh, that was the first scene that kind of kind of made me crack open laughing there. But um, I don't know, Pat, what were your initial thoughts of the movie? I know you said you had read the book. I had, yeah, and I, I didn't mention the credits, but this is uh, this is based on the novel Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. And um, I, di- I did read uh, Catch-22 a few years ago now. And I, uh, yeah, my thoughts on the, I, I, I don't want to make this like the, the book versus the movie uh, episode, because we're, we're a movie podcast, like not a book versus movie podcast, but I guess. No, absolutely. Uh, to get it all out of the way up front, um comparing the two um i really enjoyed the book when i read it i thought the book was uh the, the tone was different like the book was a lot funnier oh, okay even though they're both trying to kind of make the same point which i guess we should cover but um you know books books usually better i would say i enjoyed the movie a lot uh i don't know how much of that played into the fact that i enjoyed the book but def- definitely i'd say this is a case of the book being better um they the tone of the movie definitely is like a lot darker and a lot more grim mm-hmm. or at least i felt that way because when i was reading the book it kind of d- goes along the same progression the movie does where it kind of begins funny and absurd and you're just kind of reveling in that the hilarity of the absurdity until it kind of pulls back the veil to show you there's re- it's really sinister kind of behind there yeah um but the book does so in a way that i think is like the the funny the funny section lasts a lot longer and then the transition to to being really grim and dark is is pretty quick towards the end. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot more it's a lot more whimsical, I guess. It's a lot uh, it's a lot more fun of time. Um, so it almost seemed like the, the movie I still felt first, right? Like you know, the book it seemed like there was a lot more comedy with a little bit of little bit of darkness, at least in contrast. And this one, to me at least, it seemed like there was a lot more dark stuff with much less comedy but well it's it kind of like the, the like what it's dealing with is it's kind of using it's using comedy to communicate uh it's like a cautionary a tale against like like religious adherence to bureaucracy right like like logical fallacies that come up when you oh when you go with the like the letter of the law instead of the spirit kind of thing okay. i don't know if that's a way to put it like when you talk about catch 22 you know that's like a a common phrase that people use and we know that what that means right it's like there's a no-win situation because something like is contradicted within it sort of thing um but this is uh 
like a little, uh, I guess a little bit of trivia. I don't know if you have found this in your, in your research there, Jeff, but a lot of people these days think that if they're aware of catch 22, they think that the book or the movie inspired the, uh, it was inspired by the, the expression of what a catch 22 is. When in fact it's the opposite, like catch 22 was like a completely original title that was made up for the book, which then became an expression to mean something like the situation that's in the book. Oh, really? I, I actually Which, didn't find that out. I was, I'm surprised to hear that, actually. I was surprised to learn it, too, because, like, everybody these days, like, assumes the opposite, but the the book preceding the the expression in that way is kind of a, kind of puts it into perspective of, like, this this movie's basically, and, and uh, yeah, so the, uh, we sh- I guess we should repeat the, um, the catch itself is like you're insane if you if you fly missions um and if you're insane you don't have to fly but if you ask to ask not to fly missions anymore now you're now you're no longer insane you have to keep flying so it's like there's no win yeah uh, because the the whole thing contradicts itself um which is kind of um like what i I know a lot that a lot of people that are like in the military or have, have served in the military sometimes find even the funny parts of the book like too heavy like too real because like just there is of how, a lot of how real it seems for them, right? That's just like yeah, that's how, exactly like how true it rings. Like there is a lot of the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there is a lot of like bureaucracy that's adhered to, like for the sake of itself, just red tape for the sake of itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's like the this is what we're supposed to do because this is what it says we're supposed to do. And it's like, well, what if we do something else? Oh, we can't because it says right here this is what we're supposed to do, kind of thing, like. <laughs> It's kind of like a snake eating its own tail and like yeah stop asking questions just do as you're told you know and it's well it's like it about adherence to um the process even in the face of uh even even when facing the fact that like the process is not effective or practical yeah but it's still the process so you know conversation shut down at that point yeah i like that part when he's just like all these guys got to be crazy to uh to be flying missions and stuff like that and he's like yeah well if they're crazy i can ground them he's like oh, what do they have to do well all they have to do is tell me they're crazy well i just did that right and then that's when he goes into the whole spiel and they make another yeah. note of that they make another little bit about catch 22 when he's talking to the italian girl that he's chasing through rome and then yeah. they finally get together and all that kind of stuff and it was uh well why won't you marry I, like i can't marry you because you're, you're crazy because you, you want to marry me but then he's, <laughs> she's crazy because she shouldn't marry him, and it was a whole thing. And they, I probably should have wrote that line down, but it was funny because it was another instance of exactly yeah. the same thing, right? They, they basically, it's another catch twenty two, yeah, yeah. And there are there are several throughout the throughout the movie, right? Um, but yeah, I guess what I'm getting down to is both the movie and the book are trying to use that, like use the situation of what's now known as a catch twenty two to illustrate the dangers of, you know, uh, sticking to the process without any thought to how effective it is or how good it is accomplishing what you want to do by kind of using comedy like this like illustrating how absurd it is and i think both of though both the movie and the book kind of make the point really well in their own way i was surprised by how how well the book movie did it with a different tone than the book was yeah and i thought it was i thought it was pretty powerful honestly yeah i got a little bit of that reading some of the reviews a lot of people you know criticize the screenplay for being kind of scattered and not having really a good a good flow and all that then other people oh but that's the point the best movie of yeah i know right but i mean i guess some of the critics didn't quite enjoy that 
so they kind of brought that up and then uh i guess there were a few things missing from the movie that you know they, the movie didn't include everything from the book which happens every time they do a, a thing like this but uh one guy said it was the best damn movie he's ever seen that year i don't know what that really means i don't know how long he's been criticizing movies but uh it was the best goddamn movie he's seen january 1st 1971 this guy said it's the best movie i've seen all year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know man so this, this movie like the i thought it was great i thought it brought up a lot of really interesting things and there were a few things that i kind of thought were pretty neat like the whole um um milo character and his whole development of the syndicate the whole black yeah. market uh trade route they've got going on towards the end there there was a scene where he's kind of driving through in his jeep and he's got his armed guard and he's basically like the boss of this syndicate wasn't really that far off from some of the things that were going on in italy in world war ii right like when the government collapsed in italy you know the king said oh no we're done with mussolini and blah 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 the allies set up an amg the allied military government and they basically did offer out like a type of currency and they basically employed themselves as the government of the regions in italy they controlled so it was really kind of cool to see how that was all working out like when they raided the brothel and they start running their own businesses and stuff like that like it it totally wouldn't surprise me if that was a lot more real than uh than people were willing to talk about you know in scholarly journals and stuff like that so i thought the yeah. movie had a lot of really really good talking points in terms of uh the reality of stuff that people don't really learn about that's going on and when you see it firsthand uh it it definitely hits different yeah it definitely is like uh, obviously good at like and comedy can be like that right like making people laugh just to pay attention uh so you can make a point that otherwise would kind of be t maybe too hard of a pill to swallow like too depressing or upsetting yeah but if you can make people like laugh at it then you know it's easier to get people to listen and get your point across yeah but like i was saying earlier i there weren't a lot of laughs for me in this movie. There were some funny parts, but it seemed a lot more serious. And obviously as a dark comedy, that's or a black comedy. That's, that's kind of the edge right there anyways, right? Like it's really not supposed to be ha ha laugh all the time, but you're supposed to find, you know, irony in the really poor situations. These characters have been put in with a little bit of lighthearted. Ha ha. This is kind of funny, but damn, that must really you didn't think it was funny when that plane came down and like cut through that guy and cut him off right at the legs. Okay. I, while you're standing on the wharf, the movie's pretty dark. And I, I laughed at that part just cause I was like, Oh man, that guy just got sawed right in half. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was funny, but at the same time I was kind of like, I don't know what, I don't know what this is trying to represent. Like this guy's trying to just stop flying missions. So he killed this guy or was it by accident? And they don't really talk about it. Like the scene happens and then that's it. I the more report and that's it. And he crap. Well, he the bigger thing plane, I remember but... from that scene is, is about doc Danica, how he's uh, like, as, as the guy's flying before he like kills that guy and crashes in the plane, he says, Oh yeah, this guy, that guy signs my flight sheet. So it <laughs> looks like I was up there. So I don't actually have to get in a plane. I still get my pay. And then the plane crashes, and the guy with the clipboard is standing there. Is like, oh, Doc, well, Doc Danica was on that plane. Poor Doc Danica, he's dead. Oh yeah, and what he's did he say? He's like, I'm, point? I'm right here. Yeah. Oh man, I hope the Doc jumps. Jump, Doc, jump! Like trying to get him to bail out of the plane. And he's, he's like, I'm standing right here, right? Yeah. And then it's like he doesn't like. I think it's again they spend more time in the book than in the movie on it. But like after that point, like no one talks to Doc Danica, and he's basically just a living ghost. 
and they stop paying him. And he's he's sitting there like without draw. He's like, I don't even get my pay anymore. And, <laughs> <laughs> like people are like, well, sorry, man. I mean, you're dead. What do you expect? Just be happy, man. Basically, no but it's another thing where it's like it doesn't matter that this guy's standing in front of me and I can see that he's not dead. Uh, I've got this sheet that says he was on the plane and that like the sheet, the clipboard makes the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, um, well, that like one of the points I wanted to bring up is like the total disconnect from command to the, to the guys in the air. Right. And obviously like you're saying like the bureaucracy of it and how it all works out. And they're basically just numbers and they bring up numbers a lot. I mean, in terms of the, uh, the amount of missions you have to fly in order to be rotated out or sent home. Like, what yeah. did it start at? They were supposed to fly, like, 35. 25. 20, okay, so 25. It was, like, 25 or something, and then Cathcart got, like, a lot of attention for raising it to 35. Yeah. And I think a few people patted on the back were like, hey, good that you're showing this commitment. So he's like, well, I'm just going to keep raising it. Yeah, so it's uh, when the when the movie starts, they're already at, like, 55, and then they bring it to 70. and Yeah, and then they bring it up to, what was it, when they're in the brothel, it's like, it goes up to 80, and that's when... Uh, Martin Sheen's character is like basically snaps and decides that he's going to kill the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, that was pretty good, man. I like that. But I mean, I was, how was I going with this? That whole commander, you know, like that rush for glory. There's a lot of talk about being like, Oh man, like this guy did that. Can you do some little Bible preaching before we do some missions? So the paper is going to write about me. You know, yeah, this whole he, uh, he found glory. it's a, like, yeah, well, some other air base, got in the newspaper because their uh like their chaplain said a prayer before every every flight mission so um he went to his chaplain and said you gotta say prayers before every every mission now because like he's just you know he just wants to get it like some attaboys from the general or what have you like he's just yeah he's just in it to be noticed well they just want to you know when they go home they basically want to be known as heroes and stuff like that right they want to be the ones praised and all that, and that's why they offer Yasario the oh, whole yeah. deal, right? It's like, just well, a... you can go home a war hero and you can give speeches and everyone's gonna love you. Just oh, that's the higher ups, right? Work. They they want to and they and they want to like like other colonels that are like COs of bases elsewhere. He just wants to have a big pissing contest with them and like, well, look at this badge I got because my guys flew fifty my five missions and yours only flew twenty five or like I. Well, my chaplain says prayers too, and it's, yeah, it's like yeah, my crew's been doing then, that for years. <laughs> and there's so, and it's so much of a disconnect, like you were saying, from like their troops that are like in like planes getting shot at, and like they just don't think of how like unreasonable it's going to be. And like that guy in the plane getting shot at, like he doesn't give a fuck about your shiny badge and the fact that you get to brag to Colonel so and so when you're the next fucking mixer, right? And his wife's talking to your wife while you're, like, chatting with him and, like, comparing, like, oh, well, yeah, I had, like, I had the most efficient, uh, like, base in the Mediterranean, and I had this and that. It's like, they yeah. don't fucking care. Like, they just want to stop getting shot at, you yeah. fucking ogre. These guys, that's literally the theme of the movie. These guys don't want to die, so they want to finish their missions, and you can tell every scene they go up in the plane, it's always kind of like they just hate being there. There's a few guys that are kind of like the crazy guys, and they're just like, I'm so used to this now, this is just... It is what it is. We have to do our job. But the general, when he's like, what do you mean we should give these guys medals? We should all take them out back and shoot them all. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know we general can't do this. Friedel. Okay, well, let's just put them all into, uh, what is it called? We'll, we'll, we'll basically just put them in, throw them in jail for, you know, disobeying orders and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, but the alternative of not giving these guys medals and commending them for their bombing of the ocean is that people found out we bombed the ocean and then we look bad. 
And he's like, all right, shit, we'll give him medals. At least we look good then, right? Yeah. So when they decide not <laughs> exactly. to bomb like a civilian village with zero importance to the to the war. Yeah, they all yeah. just bomb the the sea right right in front of the village. Yeah. I mean, it's not that far from the truth. I remember uh, doing a study and like there was a point where the American army decided to basically stop cooperating with the other forces in Italy just so they could get the glory of invading Rome and like capturing Rome because a, a, that's a huge press thing, right? So going into it it, because city, it's Rome. Yeah, well, it's like, it's the capital city of Italy, right? So to fly to to roll in there with tanks and be like, we liberated Rome. We've basically liberated Italy, and it was far from the truth of what was actually going on. But it's good headlines, and it looks good on the people that are, you know, like the generals and the and the higher ups and stuff like that. So it was there was a lot of neat stuff like that, which I guess why I didn't find a lot of it kind of funny. I was kind of like, oh shit, it's sad because it's true. And these guys, you know, to make to make some humorous points about it was pretty interesting. Um, do you think, let me ask you this, do you think, like, it didn't, like, the humor didn't connect with you because you didn't find it as relatable? Or because maybe you found it too relatable? Or, or was it something else? It kind of seemed like, it, like we were saying, like, it was too real. You know what I mean? Like, nothing about it seemed like, oh, that's, there's no way that would have happened. That's so funny. Like, obviously, when they're exchanging the the piss jug with the IV, empty IV, right. I laughed my ass off. Because, like, that's just, that's just slapstick comedy, right? That was just easy, an easy joke there for me. But everything else that was supposed to be kind of funny, I'm like, well, that's, that's really kind of what was going on the whole time, right? So, like, it to me, it didn't seem like okay. it was put in a very comedic way. Uh, just because, like, you kind of understand that's how things were actually working. Um, the doctor part, like you were saying, like, when they crashed, oh, no, poor doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of funny, but at the same time, I was more or less, I was still concerned about why this guy flew into the other guy and chopped him in half, then crashed his plane. Like, I was, maybe I was just I thinking think it was on because he was, like, parts. fucking the girl that he was into, wasn't it? Like, they mentioned, they mentioned something about how it's, like, and, and another one of their contradictions. It's, like, he's with him instead of him because she likes him and can't stand him. So that's why she's with the other guy. But, but I she's think actually the guy in with the, the guy she can't stand or whatever, right? Yeah, but the, I think the pilot was, like, disgruntled against the other guy for basically, like, sleeping with the prostitute he fell in love with. There are a lot of fucking guys falling in love with prostitutes in this movie, by the way. That... What like else do you lot. do? Like, I, I thought that was that was kind of one of the funny parts in the movie. It's like, well, you're jammed up on a military base, so when you see the nurses come in, right, they're all dolled up, and every, all eyes are on them. Uh, the general's girlfriend, or, or dad's girlfriend, as uh, the son-in-law keeps calling dad's, him, right? The general's whack. Yeah, that was that was kind of funny to me, but uh, yeah, just the obsession with when you know, like that whole there was a theme there right where they're just like well these brothels are obviously busy that's where the guys spend most of their time there's the one guy who ends up raping and murdering that girl and he just kind of plays it off but the entire time throughout the movie he was a, yeah he was a gentleman the whole time you know what I yeah, mean? yeah he was so like convincing convincing a bunch of prostitutes to kind of like give it up it's like they go they go back to they'd be willing to go up to a room with him and he's like he's like i just talked to her for a while and now he's she's going home to her mother or something like that <laughs> yeah and he's like thinks he's right honorable but in the same time he like rapes and kills a girl and he's like well i wasn't gonna pay for it i've never paid for it in my life it's like well that's less of a badge of honor when you just raped and murdered a woman yeah i saw more <laughs> as like a breaking point for him too right like as a character he's just kind of like just 
he's lost himself, right? So obviously, he's not really even sure where he stands. Uh, but I did like that scene where he's like, what do you mean, man? They're going to throw you in jail. You just murdered a human being. He's like, they're not here for me. They're here for you because you're AWOL. Usario <laughs> <laughs> right. gets arrested. And meanwhile, it's one Italian girl. Who cares? Because they basically, you know, been bombing civilian villages with no military strategy involved in those. But uh, it, I don't know, man. Like I said, I, I found this movie very dark. And the, the comedy seemed few and far between. Yeah. Right, so for me, it was uh, it was a little harder to get some laughs out of, but uh, the parts that I did laugh at, I thought were were pretty damn well, well placed, I guess. Yeah, and it is like, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, uh, kind of like, well, if it, it, it's it's uh, so, sometimes like you, if you just got to laugh at how ridiculous something is, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. so like it's like a problem you're facing is so utterly insane that mm-hmm. like all you get like you'd cry if you couldn't laugh and, yeah and you so this movie's basically yeah it's like yeah all you can do is laugh at shit because yeah. if you can't laugh then then it'd be too much if you can't laugh you you'll you'll cry i thought it was funny when uh yosario in a couple different scenes he's just naked like when he gets his yeah. accommodation right he's like why aren't you wearing your uniforms like, i don't want to and they're just kind of like well, yeah shit whatever uh, you know what that's because after he watched witnessed the gunner die right yeah uh, he didn't want to wear his uniform for a bit yeah because it had the blood of the the young guy i think it was the young guy's first mission or something like that right so he's survived mm-hmm. how many missions? yeah snowden and this one guy gets caught he catches flack in the plane and uh he doesn't make it right so he's, he doesn't even know the guy's the kid's name i think he refers to him as kid He's like, I don't even Snowden. know. Someone tells name. him his name's Snowden. He's like, yeah, oh, right, yeah. Snowden. Like, he's, he, uh, yeah, he's he did pretty even... bad. What's his name again? The new gunny? Just... Yeah. Like, that was, uh... And then it's like, I, it's like played up as, uh, I, I think it's just like he doesn't want to wear the uniform for what it stands for. And like being naked is the big protest. But that was a big joke, uh, a big laugh for me. I think it's the first time I saw the movie is yeah. when he steps up naked to get his medal. And and Orson Welles as the general just gives this shoots this guy the look like he like <laughs> that that look you see authority figures give when they're just like they know they're supposed to be like in authority like reprimanding this person but they're so incredulous they just can't muster it. <laughs> He's like just this, like, this wide eyed look shit. of like I is this real? Are you really fucking making me putting me through this right now? Yeah, I thought this guy had his whole troop in order over here and like oh no his his uniforms in the wash. All of his uniforms? Yep, all of them in the wash. You know, <laughs> play it off like that. Right. Um, there was also. That... Um, I was going to say. I just want to say. Uh, no, one no, no. Of my, uh, shut, you know, shut up, Smiker. Shut, shut, shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead. No, no, no. You know what? You, you beat me in that. You bested me. So you first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just wanted to say the other uh, big uh, big laughs I got was from Bob Newhart uh, as Major Major, um, <laughs> who was. <laughs> surprisingly didn't have as big a part but i guess that was kind of the point right as he was like um he was a point after the the com- one commander of the uh uh what is he he's not the com- he's not the co because uh because colonel cathcart's the co he's like the commander of um like the fighting squadron i think the the commander of the fighting squadron is is killed so captain major uh, gets promoted to be the new commander of the fighting squadron because he's the only major around because yeah. of his name. Yeah. Um, and then and then he uh, 
he's like it's another catch 22 they present where he's like um um you know like no one get, comes in and sees me when i'm when i'm in my office anybody can come in and see me when i'm not in yeah but nobody comes here when i'm in and then he puts on a fake mustache and hops out the yeah. window and everything. nobody recognizes uh, you with this mustache on you know? <laughs> yeah which was a great scene but it's really the only scene he has going on and and you know, in keeping in keeping with making him the like the absentee commander, he's basically nowhere to be found for the rest of the movie. I think you see a few shots of him like hopping out a window and running away uh, yeah, later just on, ducking all of his responsibilities. Right, like he has no yeah. interest in doing the job, and he's just like, "Well, you can see me, but you can't see me, right?" And can only yeah. you can only see me when you can't see me. Exactly, but yeah. you can't see me when you can. So another great example of a catch twenty two going on. But uh, surprise, kind of surprising because like. Bob Newhart was like one of the top build. I think it was like fourth build or something like that in the movie, yeah. but that's really all he does. But it's a really great like quality over quantity performance for him, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think he was just there as kind of like a well, just for like that, you know what I mean? Everyone's Almost like, like a oh, cameo really. In this movie, you know, like we got to go see this. Yeah. He's great. And he has a small part and they're kind of like, "Okay, are we going to see him again?" And no, you can't see him. <laughs> Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> You can see him when you no, can't, you see, can't him, see him, exactly. but you can't see him when you can see him. You know? <laughs> um, when he's yeah. when he's stru uh, strutting back and forth between his his desk and talking with his, uh, I guess his his sergeant there, yeah, his sergeant. sergeant. Uh, the the picture in the background changes a couple times. I right? know it was Roosevelt oh. and then Stalin. There was another one in there. Um, oh really? I I, think. I caught it when I was Stalin. I looked at him like that looks like a picture of Stalin. Like yeah. that's weird, but yeah. I didn't catch it changing. I don't think I caught it as anything else. I rewinded that little bit because I was just like, what? Did they have Stalin on the wall? And then I, you mm -hmm. know, I looked at some stuff and I was like, oh, they did change it. They changed it three times. I just forget who the uh, the intermediary face was, the guy in the middle. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny just to, to throw that out there. Um, that mustache, that was kind of just like over the top right just slaps it on looks horrible and he's just like now people won't recognize me i guess yeah. man, probably not you know <laughs> and maybe hops not in passing yeah there was a lot of jumping out of buildings like unnecessary jumping out of buildings in this movie yeah there were some yeah right i thought i thought it was good <laughs> like just before uh the colonel's about to be assassinated the one uh Milo just jumps out the building. He's yeah. like, "Hey, I'm just gonna jump out here, and I'm gonna we're gonna bomb the airstrip. We're gonna have a good time doing that." I was kind of like, "What? That's not the first time somebody's jumped out the window." So there's like the scene where, uh, Major 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 jumps out the window. You know, hide. You know, climbs mm -hmm. out the window relatively easily. Milo jumps out, and then Yasario at the end makes a big jump. There's a few j jumping moments. One of the guys even mentions, "Yeah." Jump. Oh, Yosarin goes like Assassin's Creed and he jumps into a haystack. Yeah. And then he jumps over that little wall just after the guy's like, no, like, seriously, jump. And then he jumps over the wall and he's hopping over everything. And out of nowhere, yeah. he pulls out a raft. That was one thing I noticed. I'm like, he wasn't carrying that raft. And his little telescopic oar. <laughs> yeah. That was included in the raft, right? But I mean, like, he had this little yeah. suitcase raft and it just, it comes out of nowhere. Um but I guess on a more like philosophical, serious note, I really enjoyed that conversation that Nate Lee and the old guy had. The guy that ran the brothel, the 106-year-old yeah. Italian man who was kind of basically just saying, he's like, they had that whole conversation. He's like, you guys don't know how to survive. He's like, what do you mean? We have a war to win and blah, blah, blah. He's like, it's better to stand stand and fight than to, or to live. It's better to live on your standing. feet than die on your knees is yeah. what Nate Lee says. Yeah. The old man says you got it backwards. It's better to... 
to live on your to ah, how does it oh, say, it? say yeah <laughs> it's better to live on your knees it's better to live uh, on your knees than die on your feet than die on your feet yeah. yeah and he's basically just saying he's like it doesn't matter and so he has that whole line where he's just like when mussolini was first in power i was a fanatic i was all about fascism when hitler came in i was the first guy to be like that's okay with me when the americans came i couldn't wait to greet them and be like hey yankee doodle yeah. you know what i mean and it was an interesting yeah, point he calls him an opportunist and then obviously we see how that worked out for both of them in the end i mean the the old italian guy was 106 before the americans came in and basically just well bombed his brothel and took all of his his women and yeah. um innately obviously didn't quite make it but uh yeah, I thought that was a that was a really interesting speech, and I was looking that up because it was it was mentioned. Uh, what band was it? Rise Against. Uh, they actually, I guess, they cut out some of the parts of that whole conversation they were having, and they used it in their song uh, "Survivor's Guilt." Ah, so that I was see. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat. I was thinking, okay, that's a uh, that's quite a reference. Because I mean, Rise Against. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting old now. Like I don't feel like Rise Against is a very old band. You know what they're, I mean? It's you're not getting like there, I, I think. Would they be played on classic rock stations yet? I don't think so. But that's a point of contention, I think, um, <laughs> that a bunch of music nerds have. Um, it's like, is classic? does classic rock have to be like so old to be considered classic rock? Or is classic rock from a certain era that, that's immutable? Well, but, I, gotta, I forget I what it takes, but I mean, like, you can insure an older car as a classic... And I want to say it's 15 years, but it could be 25. That but makes sense because cars are the same thing as music. Well, no, just in the sense of like classic, uh, right? No. I'm just trying to think because like I hear on classic radio stations now, Red Hot Chili Peppers playing and I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't Yeah, I don't know right. about that. <laughs> Thumps, Thumps Triple Three is up here in the chat. Just asked if punk is classic rock. And that's what I kind of think is like classic rock. I, I don't think so. Because think, punk is punk, and yeah. classic rock is classic rock, where it's more like would classic you call it rock classic is a punk? Ju- uh, No, I don't think I would. Well, maybe. Maybe. I think that's, that's more... Like, you could listen to a punk song and be like, oh, man, this is a classic. Uh, but I think, like, classic rock means classic rock. Like, it's not like... A, a, it's not like once a song becomes X years old and it's a rock song, now it's classic rock. But rather, like, there was a period, like, the the period of classic rock existed in like the 60s into the early mid 70s and it's kind of like immutably like that's the classic rock era but when did rock and roll turn into classic rock um you know around the beatles around the 60s when the beatles kind of had their main influence i would think that's when rock and roll turned into classic rock um i i would say so i'm not an Okay. I mean, some music expert might be able to tell me I'm I'm off, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was around there. <laughs> I don't want to um, pretend like I know anything about music here and just like start spouting off, being like, oh, "I don't think you're right." Yeah. Because I definitely have no idea. As I've just yeah, we're not a we're not a nerdy music podcast. We're a nerdy movie podcast. And and so nerdy is even still kind of like you know, like I said, we're stumbling through this. You know, <laughs> we're still no. trying to figure this out. <laughs> I think I'm doing fantastic. Oh no. My buddy Luke tried to use a bad word. <laughs> I gotta fix the bot because we swear a lot, so there should totally be like a 
You should be allowed to. Hey, you guys, make sure you watch your fucking language in the chat. Pat, don't be fucking rude, okay? They're just trying to watch and enjoy and have a good time. <laughs> Sovereign said as. Oh, oh, ass. Oh, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and pee, pee, poo, poo. Oh, those word? guys, those are those are private bodily functions. This is out of control. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I, I'd agree. We got, we got to pull the plug. Functions up. I might yeah. have to step it up. Um, Congrats, you guys. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't release this episode of the podcast now. <laughs> Hope you're happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little upset now. Now I'm really, I'm fuming. I better pour some more whiskey and start enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, no, but really, fix, fix that bot. Yeah, that, that be, bot's really, people honestly, should be welcome, feel welcome to swear at us if they want to. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know what? I would invite either of these guys onto the podcast because I feel like they would fit right in. If they're getting banned by the bot for using simple swear words, I just feel like in person they'd probably swear a lot better. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so, aside from the music kind of derailment we got going on there, um, I, I personally enjoyed the film, but I don't think the comedy struck me quite the way I thought it was going to. Uh, when I read a little quick blurb about the movie before I watched it, yeah, I think I think I might have hyped up as hyped it up as a comedy too, yeah, just because I was kind of like, I, I hadn't seen the movie the whole way through when I I was just remembering how much the book made me laugh that maybe I misrepresented it, but uh, no, and that's that's totally fair. Um, I don't think you really hyped, I don't think you really hyped anything up for me in terms of a comedy. Um, like I said, like there were a few parts that were that seemed you know I wouldn't say like you know knee slapping. But I mean, like I said, there's a few scenes that I really enjoyed and thought were funny. But it was, uh, well, it was, it did a really good job of being a uh, a really dark comedic look at uh, at what was going on during World War II. And obviously, it probably didn't resonate well as we saw from the box office numbers uh, towards the no. end of the Vietnam War, where America was, you know, inevitably. I think I think that, that might war. be sort of like the Fight Club syndrome. You know how like a bunch of a bunch of fucking like young dudes full of testosterone just like love Fight Club because they missed the point of it, and it's like they're like it's fucking Dude, awesome, man! Like they're start fighting. A fight club. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> if you watch Fight Club and you want to start a Fight Club, then you miss the point of Fight Club. Yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. I think it's the same thing where like not not so much the exact same thing, I guess, but the uh, sort of like where. Like, like, this is not really a war movie, right? This is a movie, like, kind of, a war, like, warning against, um, you know, over-regulation, like, like, adhering to, like, this is the way it's done because it's the way it's done kind of thing. Like, it's a, it's a yeah. kind I of a cautionary tale against over-bureaucracy. Yeah. Over and, and But, of course, like, to, to audiences seeing a trailer for a movie in 1970, think, just thinking, oh, it's a war movie, and we're sick of that just because it, all the war is not the, the point, news. I guess. It All takes place during a the war. But... war and with Vietnam being such a bloody, uh, awful war for the Americans, the headlines were never really good for them. No, um, yeah, and people didn't have like as as optimistic a look on like the U.S. military and and their uh, theater of operations as they would have in in World War Two. Yeah, I think this movie might have fared better pre Vietnam or five ten years post Vietnam. Um, I think it would have been a bit more relatable yeah. to the public. Um, I do want to mention a really, as if the movie wasn't dark enough, um, 
what was the guy's name? I wrote it down here. The second unit director, John Jordan, actually died on set. Um, of this he, movie? Of Catch-22? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So he was f- doing a scene. He refused to wear a harness, which by today's standards is like you, you can't, you have to wear a harness. Any if you If you step over six feet, I mean, legally, you, the country requires over 10 feet, or if there's a dangerous surface below you, you have to be tied off with a whole fall arrest harness system. This guy was in the tail gun of a, of a plane. Fell out 4,000 feet. Whoa. For the movie. And I, that's why I said, like, as if the movie wasn't dark enough, somebody actually fucking died yeah. filming this movie. And and that plane crash, when they were when they were landing that plane and the general and the other guy were driving the Jeep and Milo were driving the Jeep, I guess yeah, that the plane, plane actually lands. crashed. What? Yeah. That... Because I, I remember the I shot read. you're talking about. They're standing there. Uh, okay, I remember it was like there's kind of sta- the camera's on them as they're standing there next to the runway, and the plane kind of comes down for a landing on the runway. Yeah. And then the two the two characters kind of start walking past the camera down the runway, and the camera turns and pans and shows that the plane has crashed. Yeah. So I guess but the the plane. I think the plane actually crashed during that take. I think it was. There's yeah, no whatever. way. I can't bring it up now because we don't we don't there's... fact check shit. Like we well, there's like no we way because it must have been like I can see it if it's like a plane crashed on another take and then after like you know well the wreckage of the crash was still there they decided to film another take and just make it look like a joke kind of because that played like a joke to me like the plane lands go goes off camera down the runway then you turn around and it's crashed and they kind of a funny like yeah it's like a funny sight gag sort of. Yeah, like, like at the time. I like, thought it was just that. Like, if you're trying to tell me that, like, I think it's Martin Balsam and John Voigt that are standing there. And if, like, if you're telling me that they stayed in character and carried on the scene while a plane crashed in front of them, then that's that's hogwash. That's just... I don't know, man. I'm not going to gonna... swear well the guys in the chat can't spare, but that's <laughs> utter... That's, that's utter hogwash. poppycock. That's, that's hogwash, my friend. That's sheer nonsensory, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Um, somebody can look that up and prove us wrong and they can post that in the comments on our audio or YouTube feed. That's totally fine. Um, yeah, but I was going to say that Batman scene where they were blowing up the hospital with the Joker. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know right? if I buy that, that one. Either. I don't know, man. Apparently that was can... played off like it was an accident. Yeah. Like they I know knew, the one, they knew I know what, what you're talking about, right? Where it he... was supposed to happen. But like, yeah. you know, Heath Ledger being the, uh, the legend that he was. That's the rumor, character. right? I don't know if they're just trying to immortalize him as, you know, maybe that was one of those kind of things where it's just like, he was so Yeah, I don't know. I could go... That, like... Mm-hmm. Right? It's tough. I could go I could go either way on that one, so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, but... All right. If anybody listening doesn't know, there's a scene in The Dark Knight where uh, um, Heath Ledger, is the Joker, is walking out of a hospital and uh, has a remote uh, detonator and he presses it and, like, some charges go off and blow out the windows of a uh the windows of a hospital and then he he kind of like shakes it like hits the remote detonator then then all the rest of the charges go off and blow the entire hospital up yeah and it's kind of like oh look at how great he was for staying in character and they were able to get that shot but yeah i I don't know i i was i have a hard time buying that one and uh like luke's little comment there imagine buddy fell out and the camera guy's like oh shit guys i forgot to hit record i don't i don't want to see a snuff film but i totally appreciate the sentiment of the camera guy being like shit we're not even recording 
<laughs> yeah. Um, that gnarly explosion was good, but I do want to credit these guys when they when they bombed their own airfield because they made a, a deal with the Germans for all that cotton. Uh, there yeah, was a whole bunch of black market shit going on, but when they did that deal and they bombed it, that was a really well done scene. Like the amount of explosions and uh, and how that all worked out and the planes flying over. Um, I think yeah. they said one of the planes that they bought to use in this movie is actually now at like the Smithsonian Air Museum or something like that. They're saying that the the B twenty five bombers, at least some of the variations of them in this film, were basically saved by this movie being made because they would have been scrapped and recycled, basically, right? And that was a, a pretty cool fact, I thought, to to be able to bring a movie like that, being able to you know basically restore a piece of history for uh, for people to be able to enjoy now. It's pretty neat. Um. Yeah, but no, those explosions were good, man. In this movie, itself. the explosions were good, and I, I do want to comment that also that like the, I think this would be the sound mixing, as I start to kind of get a little more literate in film thanks to this podcast. Like I think it's the sound mixing, um, is really good when it comes to like conversations that people are having on an airfield or on a runway when there's like a lot of aircraft going on in the background and they're kind of yelling at each other to have a conversation. Which is, uh, like, difficult, like, you know, like, most movies, especially action movies, get flack for, like, super low dialogue, and then huge, loud action scenes and explosions and stuff, but this one, you can have kind of, like, a huge, a bunch of huge, loud sound effects and a, and a conversation going on, mm-hmm. and it's it's just enough so that you get the sense that, like, it's really loud there and they have to yell to carry on a conversation, but you don't miss out on any of the conversation, like, you understand... I'll tell you what right now, saying. as a, as a parent, if I'm watching something on my TV upstairs and it's like really loud action scenes and then really quiet dialogue, bothers mm-hmm. me. That is that is an absolute pet peeve of mine. Well, I think and, even if you're not a parent, that's that's something that bothers people. But I mean, if I wake my kid, <laughs> but it's up easier I'm like if you watching have like... dialogue and I turn it up to fifteen or twenty, and then all yeah. of a sudden they're like a surprise action scene. And then I got to smash it down on the volume thing to five. I'm just like, you know what? Like, if you wake my yeah. kid up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate on your movie. You're that's not going to get a good review. <laughs> when it's That's definitely a lot easier, like, when it's just, like, me and my wife in this whole house. And it's like, fucking crank it. Who cares? Like, yeah, yeah. Neighbors can complain. Nobody's listening. But, yeah, it's like, it always sucks when people are just like, oh, I got the secret files. And uh, I'm going to transfer them to the hard drive. And you're like, what the fuck? And you turn it up, and all, then all of a sudden, like, oh no, there's a sniper! Kablow! And you're like, oh Christ, the oh my tinnitus! He just shot the loudest object in the world. You're like, what? Why would you say that? <laughs> Bing! Something just rattling and ranging off in your ears. Yeah. And then Not there's a good. car chase and an explosion, and there's like, ah! Oh! And you're like, Jesus Christ! You turn it down, and then or or it's like when they're they, you know, especially in car scenes, I find the cars like. Making all their loud fucking car noises, and then it goes into the car, and they're like, <laughs> "I I missed that." Yeah, you gotta go back. You gotta like, turn on subtitles hey. for that shit. Or because uh, so what? I think Driver was one of those movies. I don't know. I just hated that movie. Drive? Do you mean Drive? 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 Yeah, the, the Ryan Gosling one. Right? Yes, yes. I hated that movie. I've heard. I don't know the first thing about that movie. I've just heard that it's bad. I just remember watching it and being like, there's a lot of leaps here that shouldn't have occurred without some kind of something in the middle here. Uh, 
Yeah, thank you, Luke. It was hot garbage. Okay, I feel validated now in my opinion. <laughs> Chats. It's always good when the chat agrees with you. Absolutely. Well, what do you say? Like, I'm loving all this this uh, this back and forth. This has been fantastic. Uh, let's give it a rating, and then we can just fuck around from here. Yeah. What, so what do all you right. say? What, uh, do you, you want, want to go first? Can I go first? Yeah, Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll give Absolutely. this a rating. I thought that this was a fine film. Well done. I definitely had... Uh, I was feeling the tone. I know it's a tough tone to nail down to, uh, you know, have comedy with more grim stuff and 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 kind of make a make a point like this movie's trying to do i think it did a good job and and uh it had me like it took me for i was along for the ride um so i'm gonna give it three stars okay um i thought it uh thumbs giving it 22 out of 10 22 out of 10 that's a that's a great rating system i like that it's we not the one we use but i like a system how about that a <laughs> right <laughs> is it like a golf handicap where you want it to be lower I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll work it out in the details. That's no problem. Can I mention one thing as well? Just along, I guess, along with my rating is like Catch Twenty Two. Um, there's one scene we didn't talk about, which is uh, I thought was a good one, a really powerful one, is when he's talking to the old Italian woman at the brothel when he shows up and they're gone. Um, oh. You know, the MPs showed up and raided the place and took everyone away, and she's just sitting there. It's like she she said like they said they could do it because of Catch Twenty Two. And he's like, who sa- like who, who says? And like, she just kept kind of repeating, right? He was, he was like, did they ask you? Did you ask them to show you the, you know, show you the law? She said they they don't have to show it to us. It's like, well, where does it say they don't have to show it to you? She says, catch twenty two, and yeah, kind of makes the point again. And I remember that scene like la- the last time. I'm gonna go back and and compare it to the book. I promise. But now, now that we're done talking about it, but the like in the last scene. Um, in, in that scene, I guess, uh, was in the book as well. I, I remember someone, there was a character in that scene in the book who kind of put it into terms that I think really captured it the best that I was surprised they left out of the movie. But someone said, uh, catch 22 states that they have the authority to do whatever we can't stop them from doing. Yeah. Which I thought was like, that's, yeah, that's a really poignant way to like illustrate how kind of sinister it is. Oh yeah. And yeah also was just kind of true of authority in general if you think about it too much so well that was one of those things i was trying to bring up with like the not even trying to bring up just like with that whole allied military government is like you're imposing whatever will you want on the people you occupy well, yeah, at the martial time. law so it's like and that's yeah. really what all martial law is it's like we have the authority to do this because you can't physically stop us well that's the thing right? really like, hey, you can't do that well why not of. because we have guns and I guess you really see that when Milo is rolling through the streets. He's like, Milo, you son of a bitch, what have you done? And they, he's like, hey, hey, don't Basically. hurt that guy. But they end up Basically, all anyways. it boils down to, like, the way they describe it, where it's like they have the authority to do uh, anything that we can't stop them from doing is basically, mm-hmm. like, because I said so. Yeah. And the whole idea so of the syndicate playing into that was really, I thought was really interesting, right? Because obviously, this military government that they had set up or you know the control they were they were imposing on these people was basically self-made there was no congress there was no parliament there was no no governing body to be like hey you know maybe we should be doing it basically a power vacuum and the people that were most heavily armed exactly uh, were able to fill it yeah um what about you for me i i enjoyed the film 
I don't feel like I missed out by not seeing it before. It made me think a lot more than I probably wanted to watching a movie, um, having studied especially a lot of the Mediterranean campaign. Um, I gave it a 2.3, which I'm kind of feeling like after we discussed it, like this is the rating I wrote down after watching the film. Uh, might have seemed a little low, but I mean, I'm I still a little okay. torn on it. I, I think a 2.3 for me is fair in terms of enjoyment. Uh, it was a really well done film. I just it just didn't quite uh, didn't quite grab me the way I thought it was going to. So maybe I set up some some high expectations that weren't met, and that's more on me. But um, there weren't a lot of complaints. It just it just didn't quite hit the same as some other films that I'd seen. So, so well, I'm gonna that's what it is, right? It's about your enjoyment, like you're rating your experience of enjoying the movie. So that's that's valid, yeah. and not just enjoyment. I mean, like you know, analyzing some of the things too. It was uh, some of the things were harder, some of the things were funny, but like you know, in a in a dark comedy like this, it was when I didn't find as much comedy as I thought. Maybe it was because I, I was thinking overthinking stuff too much. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna stick with a two point three. I think that's that's a, a reasonable. Totally. Thing. That's how I feel. That's still yeah. a that's still a passing passing grade, I think. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you don't know. I, I didn't want to go any lower. We have lower. this grading system, but yeah, <laughs> we still don't know what it means. No, no, no. And I, I mean, I don't want to do math. I've been drinking a lot of this whiskey. All right. Again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Belated Box Office Podcast presented by Force to Be Social. Thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate your viewership. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitch, Spotify, Anchor. We got a lot of different sources. Feel free to follow us or subscribe. Again, really appreciate it. This is Pat and Jeff signing off for the night. Thank you so much. Have a good night, everybody.